Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 440 for Monday, March 21st. It wasn't a particularly good weekend for most sports fans in Nashville, unless your name is Philip Forsberg or Ryan Tannehill. So coming up on the show today, the Titans make no-brainer move to make Tannehill's life better. The Preds win on Saturday, but split two games going into the trade deadline and still have no deal done with Philip Forsberg. Nashville SC continues to give up bad goals, but we begin with Kentucky, Tennessee, and the rest of the SEC completely wetting the bed in the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. We are brought to you every day by the Kingston Group. That's Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm. They've won awards. They've been operating for over a decade, and they will make you a better homeowner. You're making a big decision. takes a lot of information, a lot of money, and you got to get those things right. So talk to the Kingston Group. No matter what happens, whether you use them or not, they will help you as a homeowner. I promise you, you want all the information before you make a big decision. BuildKG.com. That's the Kingston Group. My family uses the Kingston Group, and so should you. The Kentucky Wildcats posted one of the most disappointing performances in the history of the NCAA tournament for Big Blue Nation, losing to 15-seed St. Peter's, who, by the way, just beat Murray State and is in the Sweet 16. The Tennessee Volunteers fell to 11-seed Michigan on Saturday in the second round, once again eliminating the Tennessee Volunteers and Rick Barnes well before anyone expected them to. LSU upset by an 11-seed in the first round. Alabama upset in the first round. Frankly, the SEC pissed down its leg in the first weekend of the tournament after being considered by many to be one of the best two conferences in America, the Big 12 and the SEC largely regarded as the best two leagues. And frankly, the best two teams coming out in terms of how they were playing, Kentucky and Tennessee, completely wet the bed. Now, I don't want to hear any discussions or arguments about seeding because clearly it doesn't matter. We could argue all sides of this. Well, Tennessee shouldn't have been seeded as a three seed. That 11 seed matchup with Michigan was too tough for them, and obviously they deserved an easier draw. How can you argue that when Kentucky lost to a 15? I could also make the case pretty easily that if you can't beat an 11 seed, you don't belong in the two line. You're just simply not that good. I said this from the beginning of the stupid seeding argument. If Tennessee plays its best basketball, it doesn't matter where they're seeded. Same thing for Kentucky and Auburn. If you play your best basketball and you can get to the Final Four, it will not matter who you play, where you play, what line you're playing on. If you do not play good enough basketball to get to the Final Four, every single stinking team in this tournament is good enough to beat you. And when Tennessee scores five points in eight minutes in the second half of a critical round of 32 game, cannot make baskets, cannot make wide open threes, you're going to get beat. It doesn't matter who you're playing. It doesn't matter what seed line you're on. It doesn't matter where the gym is. You're going to lose games. It happened to Kentucky. It happened to Alabama. It happened to LSU. And it happened once again to Rick Barnes and Tennessee. It was a tremendous season, and fans should celebrate that SEC championship. Frankly, they didn't even take enough time last week to do that. But you cannot argue with Rick Barnes' failings in the NCAA tournament. It goes all the way back to Texas. The reason he was fired was because he could not deliver in March. He has been an absolute godsend for Tennessee basketball. He has been a great coach. He's a wonderful guy. He's a hilarious dude, and his players love him. He can recruit like crazy. I think he is the right guy for Tennessee basketball. I'm fine with it. I don't want to hear any of this fire Rick Barnes crap. But until, just like Ryan Tannehill in the postseason, until Rick Barnes and Tennessee proves us wrong in March, his inability to win in the NCAA tournament will hang around his neck like an albatross. 
It's not necessarily fair, but it's the way we do things. It is absolutely no different than Ryan Tannehill. You can be a great regular season quarterback year after year after year, but if you continually fail in the postseason, that is eventually going to be the thing that defines you. I don't think that's necessarily fair for either Tannehill or Rick Barnes, but it is the way sports works. You got to deliver in big moments to be considered elite, to be great, and to compete for championships. And as of right now, Rick Barnes and Tennessee are simply not doing that. John Robinson did what John Robinson does best over the weekend, trade for a declining veteran asset for little to no risk whatsoever in an effort to reinvent said player's career. He did it brilliantly with DeMarco Murray in his first offseason, basically his first move as GM, and he obviously acquired Ryan Tannehill for basically nothing. Sure, draft picks and free agents have been misses, but getting Robert Woods from the Rams for a 2023 sixth-round pick is highway robbery if, a huge if, he is healthy. Woods tore his ACL on November 12th in practice of last year. For some quick context, Taylor Lewan tore his ACL on October 18th, and Bud Dupree tore his ACL on December 2nd of 2020, and neither one was fully healthy for the start of the season last year, much less training camp. Strangely, Caleb Farley tore his ACL on the exact same day a year later as Lawan, October 18th. The human body and how it recovers from injury is completely unpredictable from person to person. Wood's injury falls right between all of those dates, and really, all of this could mean absolutely nothing. Woods and Farley are sort of running on parallel tracks to return, and it will be fascinating to watch how both of them progress. Age can be a factor, weight and size for guys like Lawan and Dupree, compared to a guy like Woods, who is 6'1", 195 pounds. But guys like Woods and Farley are far more explosive, and that can also put just as much pressure and strain on a new knee as much as weight can. Really, there is only one message for anyone out there trying to guess at Woods' recovery time or ability. None of you have a freaking clue, including me and even the medical professionals. Now, should he be healthy, what does Woods bring to the Titans' offense? First of all, Woods is locked up for four more years and will be between a $13 and $17 million cap hit over those years. However, the Titans can actually just get out of the deal at any time for basically nothing. So the contract is super team-friendly. Because if he is healthy and able to play, not only is he a perfect fit for what the Titans are looking for, but also would be totally worth the salary. So why am I guaranteeing success for Woods and the Titans if he's able to return to full strength when some of these moves haven't worked in the past? Well, it's because he's been a rock star wide receiver every single step of his career. He was the number three overall recruit in the nation in 2010, a surefire five-star player who was the number one player in the country at his position. He signed with USC, and all he did was dominate the Pac-12 for three years. He was a consensus All-American, delivering on his recruiting potential instantly. He was a second-round pick for the Buffalo Bills in 2013, and admittedly produced some middle-of-the-pack numbers, but he was playing with, wait for it, E.J. Manuel, Kyle Orton, old neckbeard, and Tyrod Taylor before heading out west to join the Los Angeles Rams. And the Rams were able to unlock his talent. In 68 games, Wood averaged five and a half receptions and 70 yards per game. He also added almost 500 yards rushing and five touchdowns on the ground in five seasons. Just as a point of reference, A.J. Brown has averaged 4.3 receptions and 70 yards during his Titans career. Woods can be lined up everywhere, in the slot, outside, used in trick plays, motion, the running game, and is also one of the league's best blocking wide receivers. He is a perfect fit for the Titans offense that needs another down-the-field weapon who is versatile and likes to play football on running plays as much as passing plays. 
Basically, this is a near-perfect move by John Robinson that fills a huge need at an extraordinarily low cost if, of course, Woods is healthy. If not, they can cut him at any time and really haven't risked anything. But if the 29-year-old wide receiver is just 85 or 90% of who he was in Los Angeles, then the Titans may have finally solved their wide receiver issue. Philip Forsberg became the all-time leading scorer in Nashville Predators history on Saturday in the 6-3 win over Toronto at Bridgestone Arena. Forsberg, Matt Duchesne, Ellie Tolvanen, and Yakov Trenin all scored in the big win over the Maple Leafs. The goal was Forsberg's 33rd of the season and 211th all-time. He passed David Legwand and is now the number one leading goal scorer in Predators franchise history. With one more goal, should he still be on the team, he will tie Victor Arvidsson's single-season goals record at 34. Duchesne has 32 goals and is also just a couple away from breaking Arvidsson's record as well. We will get to the We Want Forsberg, Resign Forsberg chant that broke out at Bridgestone Arena in just a second. Because what Roman Yossi is doing is even more absurd than the goal scoring that's taking place on this team. Yossi had three more assists on Saturday, which is the third straight game he's had at least three assists, extending his single-season franchise record of assists to 58. The previous record was 54, and the Preds still have 20 more games to go. He's only three goals from 20 for the season and now has 75 points on the year. He is 11 away from breaking Paul Correa's all-time single-season scoring record and is on pace to obliterate it. In fact, Duchesne is on pace to pass Korea as well, as he has 63 points in 58 games. This team is on pace to have six 20-goal scores and possibly 11 or 12 10-goal scores, both of which would be franchise records. Basically, this is the best offensive goal-scoring team the Nashville Predators have ever had. Now back to the chant and will all this offense translate. The win on Saturday erased an awful taste of Thursday's loss to the Flyers, and we are now just hours away from the trade deadline. The Predators have until 2 p.m. Central Time on Monday to decide what to do with Philip Forsberg. The two sides seem far apart on a contract, so barring some last-minute concessions from both sides, it does feel like a new deal, which would be the ideal outcome, may not happen. Keeping Forsberg without getting anything in return does give this team its best chance to win in 2022, but also means that he likely becomes a free agent and gets a huge offer from another team that David Poyle simply cannot match. Or you can trade him for a bunch of future assets that make your team even better in the future and adds jet fuel to the competitive rebuild that is already super competitive in exchange for Stanley Cup upside right now, which I'm not really sure they even have with number nine in the lineup. As a side note, if they are quote unquote going for it, then they actually need to buy some small pieces at the deadline to help, namely a third defenseman who makes up for injuries to Matt Benning, Mark Borowiecki, and the recently waived Philip Myers. It's an incredibly difficult spot for Poyle and the Preds to be in no matter what they do, and they're going to be questioned about the strategy of the decision no matter what. Meanwhile, Nashville has fallen back behind Minnesota and St. Louis in the Central Division standings and into a wildcard spot. They're just two good weeks of hockey away from being a two-seed, but they're also just two bad weeks away from being out of the playoffs altogether. Needless to say, the trade deadline this year is as complicated as ever, so I'm glad that Poyle isn't taking instructions from a bunch of fans chanting in the stands. It's like the football fans who automatically cheer for the challenge flag. The crowd always wants the thing that makes them happy in the moment, not what is best for the franchise or the team long term. Nashville is back on the ice on Monday night against Ottawa, and Adam Vingen is back in the podcast booth with me on Monday afternoon as we will have a short reaction show on the Gold Standard podcast following the trade deadline on Monday, no matter what happens. That's the Gold Standard podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. 
Nashville SC did a lot of good things in their 2-1 road loss to Real Salt Lake on Saturday night, but obviously didn't get the result they wanted. Conceding on a set piece in the second minute of play was certainly not one of them. And I could try to break down the game from a control standpoint or why Hani Mukhtar isn't worried about it or why Dax McCarty got a red card and the officiating and why some thought this was one of their best offensive showings of the season. Or I could just let Walker Zimmerman explain it. Quote, we're not going to be able to contend. We're not going to be able to win games if we keep giving up bad goals like that. It's inexcusable and it's on all of us. Look at all the goals we've conceded this season. They're all bad. End quote. There you have it, folks. We are not going to win games or contend if we keep giving up bad goals, and all of them have been bad. Pretty straightforward, pretty simple, and pretty honest. Frankly, that's leadership from Zimmerman. I'd expect nothing else from the center back, and I appreciate his candor. Gary Smith basically said many of the same things, but in a little bit more of a coach-speak sort of way. SC is now 1-2-1 on the season, losing two consecutive games, entering the international break, which of course will include the final round of U.S. World Cup qualifying matches that will begin on Thursday against Mexico. The boys in gold won't be back on the pitch until April 2nd at Columbus. The 440 is brought to you every single morning for free by the Kingston Group. BuildKG.com is the website. Nashville's locally owned, award-winning custom home and remodeling firm. Nose-to-tail, folks. Not a bunch of general contractors. A nose-to-tail partner in your home's journey through the renovation process or the remodeling or the rebuilding. Talk to the Kingston Group. That's BuildKG.com. Remember the name, the Kingston Group. Thank you guys all for listening. Make sure you stay tuned in to 440 Sports. We'll have a gold standard podcast for you about the Nashville Predators trade deadline coming up on Monday afternoon, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Thank you guys all for listening. Share the show. Check out the YouTube, all that great stuff. My name is Braden Gall. Thank you guys all for listening. This has been the 440 for Monday, March 21st. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler.